0: Good morning, Christ Central. Uh, my name is Ruben Amlalo, as Pastor Howard shared. Um, and my wife, Goda and I have been here since August with our two children. Um, and we are currently in a church that is revitalizing and uh, planting. Uh, it's, it's an interesting kind of combination of, of things to think of yourself as, as a church. Um, but one of the things that we think a lot about is discipleship. It's a strange passage to get the idea of discipleship from, but um, my hope is to show you that as disciples of Christ Jesus, uh, the sanctuary is central. Okay? Not only the sanctuary, but, but who shows up in the sanctuary is essential. See, we come, to, we come to the sanctuary hoping, no matter what has happened throughout the week, no matter what happened until we, we got to those doors, we come in with anticipation that the Lord will meet us here. Amen? So my prayer for us today is that the Lord himself does a wonderful, gracious thing and meets us here. Amen? So let me read the passage for us. Happy New Year, by the way. <laughs> uh, let me read the passage for us, and then I will share what the Lord, uh, I'll pray and then share what the Lord has put on my heart for us. Amen? All right, so this is Psalm 73. It's a, it's a Psalm of Asaph. Yes, please stand up. Please stand up in honoring of the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to be reading from the ESV, so if you have an electronic device and you want to follow me, please um, just switch it from NLT to ESV, but you're welcome to follow it. it it's, it's pretty much the same thing. Again, I've been meditating on this actually for years in the ESV, so it's been strange this week to try to kind of do a switcheroo. Be like, it's kind of like learning a new language. It's in the same language. It's English. But, um, but I just so the familiarity of the ESV um, just puts me in a certain sense that I, I, I want to read it in the ESV. Would you guys forgive me? No? Okay. Amen. It is the word. It's also the elect standard version. I don't know if you guys knew that. No. Okay. All right. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs unto death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been stricken and, and rebuked every morning. But, but if I had said I would speak thus, I would betray. I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I, when I thought how to understand this, it, was, it, it seemed to me a wearisome task. He tried. He tried to make sense of it. On his own. It was wearisome. It wore him out. Until. <laughs> Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned the end. Truly you have set them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment. Swept away utterly by terrors like a dream when one awakes. Oh, Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When, your, when my soul was embittered, when, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You, you guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of your works. Lord, you're good and your steadfast love endures forever. Father God, I'm just a man. I I have nothing to offer your people. um, Unless you show up, Lord, I'm just laying down the wood. Unless fire comes down from heaven, Lord, your people will leave here just as they came, unchanged, untransformed, no better for it. Father God, have mercy on us. We beg you. We beg you that you will do the thing that only you by your Holy Spirit can do. You will speak through me, Lord. And give us ears to listen, and hearts that are set aflame to do all that you've commanded us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we read a psalm uh, of Asaph. Uh, Asaph is a real person. Uh, Asaph uh, was a contemporary of David. To appreciate this psalm, you have to appreciate who Asaph is, and you have to appreciate the central role of the temple to King David. See, for David, the temple was everything. The temple was everything. To appreciate it, you need to see that as a maturing believer, as, as believers who are called, who are on a mission for Christ, as believers who will go and make disciples of the world, the, sanctu- the sanctuary is central. We don't know much about Asaph's personal life, but we know that he was a worship leader. Indeed, he stood in front of the ark of the Lord and led the people in worship. Put it in other words, he made disciples through the songs he taught the people to sing. See, there was, there was purpose in the songs that he chose for the people of God to sing. Whether he actually wrote Psalm 73 or not, or whether it was dedicated to him, we don't know. But what we know is this is a sample of the kind of songs that the people of God would have been singing during worship. It's like any good worship service song, any corporate worship song that we have, um, like like, "Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Those words are formative. Bless the Lord Oh my soul and all that is within me. So Pastor Brown shared that I grew up, my mom. Never not knowing a day I didn't know Jesus. That's because my mom sang Jesus songs to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm trying to sing Jesus songs to my kids Mm -hmm. so that I don't haunt them if they are ever tempted. (laughs) Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he... I'm smiling, y'all. I don't know if you can see it. For he is good. Oh, give thanks... These words are formative. See, if, if Asaph was to, to contemporize and to, to be thinking about disciple-making in, in, in a context like Christ Central, in a context like Freedom Church, he'll, you know, he'll have to write this song in a way that the people will hear it in their language, right? So he'll, he might change it to something like, ain't God good to his people. I'm not a music writer, as you can tell. But he was teaching the people what God is like through music. He was, he was discipling their heart through music. This psalm has actually been modernized. And I've, I've heard some of the modern versions. The ones that are most true to, 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 the, to, the, to the psalm, they feel kind of awkward because they don't sound like the songs we typically sing. Why? Because they kind of skip the the hard part of this passage where this man is struggling and get right to the end where he shouts. You can't skip. You don't appreciate the shouts if you don't get the struggle. You can't. See, the first half of the psalm is bad news, y'all. Our brother Ace was struggling. He was struggling with envy. He was struggling with self-pity. And he was struggling with doubt. Must must I remind you that this is a worship leader? (laughs) This is a man that on Sunday is going to be standing in front of the people of God, leading them in worship. He says, I was struggling with envy. And when I was struggling with envy, it's, it's as if he sat down in a therapist's chair and a therapist told him, okay, when you say you're struggling with envy, what exactly are the thoughts? That run through your head. See, what are what are the what's the food that you feed in this this envy? What are the things that you tell yourself about yourself, about your situation that causes you to stay in this place? It says, when I when I think of the wicked, I think of, of, of their prosperity. See, I think about how healthy and good they look. Here he says they are fat. That's just a cultural thing. You know, like, so I'm I'm from Ghana, right? So you, you guys get fat and you're, like, really concerned. Like, in certain cultures, fatness just means prosperity. It just means you got money to eat a lot. No concern. Your fridge is stocked. Like, you eat all the sugar you want. You eat all the meat you want. Exercise. That's for poor people. You guys have it backwards. I'm telling you. It says when I when I see them walking down the street, looking, looking like they do, ooh, I envy them. Now he's talking about the wicked. Now let me define the term wicked for us in context, because that's a that's important, right? Because when we think of the wicked, you know, like we're we're thinking of like people going up to schools to shoot up kids who have done nothing wrong to them, right? People that are just doing vile things from our perspective. See, but in the wisdom, in the wisdom section of the scripture, the wicked, the wicked are simply people who have no regard for God. They're just, just people who, like, they're just going about their business. Whether there's a God or not, they don't know and they don't care. See, this, the book of Psalms at the very beginning sets a tone and says, blessed is the man who does not walk In the council of the wicked, who does not sit in the seat of, who does not stand in the way of, who does not sit in the seat of scoffers, and who does not stand in the way of sinners. Those are all the same people, scoffers, wicked, sinners, fools. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So that's the wicked. And Asaph, this worship leader, is telling us that throughout the week, He sees these people and he's like, man, they got it going on. They have have no worry in this life. They talk about violence like they have the power to do it and they seem to have the power to just be violent and no one can ask them what they've done. Sadly enough, the people of God look at them and ask, hold on, does God know what's going on? Is God actually aware of how he set up this, this thing? because it seems like the only people who are going up the ladder are the people who have no regard for him. He says, I saw this and I was envious. I said, if that was not bad enough. He moves from envy to self-pity. <laughs> and it's, it's like a therapist sits him down and asks, okay, brother Ace, so when, you, when, you, when these feelings of self-pity comes upon you, what's the script in your mind? What are the things that a feet in this slumness, this, this sadness that you feel in the morning, no hope, no, no, nothing to live for. What, what are the things that run through your mind? And he says, every morning I wake up and you beat me up, God. All in vain have I kept my hands clean. It's been a waste of time. All oh, the time that I gave to you, Lord. And this is how you pay me? So Pastor Howard shared I used to do youth ministry in the city, in Baltimore City. You guys should try youth ministry, Our Kids don't lie. They tell you exactly how they feel about your church. They tell you all the things you're doing wrong. And if it wasn't for the fact that they weren't sanctified, I, I, man, our church, churches will grow because they're honest. Your youth group sucks. Like, why would I want to come here? It's a struggle. It's a struggle. Why, why would I worship here? Like, look at look at the other people having fun. Why? It's one thing for a youth to do that, right? But it's another thing for a worship leader. <laughs> to stand in front of the people of God and confess, I struggle with self-pity, y'all. I struggle with envy. And I struggle with doubt. I think there are a few applications. So I'm not done with the sermon, by the way. But let's just take an intermission. Uh, if you're a note taker, here are some applications that I think this first half of the session, uh, of psalm encourages us to do. Because we're about to get to the shout. But if, if we don't stop here to, to figure out what exactly Asaph is trying to get us to do, we'll miss the shout. We'll miss the transformation. We'll miss the deliverance that the Lord is about to bring into this man's life. So I think, I think the first thing is, so I think, I believe. My wife says I need to stop saying I think. I believe. I believe that the first thing this psalm does and the first thing that Asaph wants us to, to apply to our lives is to realize this is how good, is, good God is. y'all. God has given us permission to struggle. Let me say that one more time. God himself is giving us words. He's putting words in our mouth as we come to worship to realize he knows the internal script. He knows we think he's doing a horrible job. It's like we come to worship and God gives us a hat and it's like, try this on. See if it fits. Try these words on. See if I'm right. That's the first application. He's given us permission. As we see this great man struggling with envy and self-pity and doubt, he says, I know. I know. I know. I know what you think of me. Secondly, I think he gives us permission to name our demons. Just name them. Just call it what it is. You think I suck? You think I have no idea what I'm doing? You get so angry with injustice and And what's wrong with the world? Because you don't think I'm an anchor. You don't think I have any plans. Tell God the truth about what's going on in your heart. What are you struggling with? Do you know the difference between struggling with sin and cohabitating with sin? (laughs) Do you? See, one leads to worship. The other leads to depression. It leads to envy. It leads to self-pity. And it leads to doubt. Which are you doing now? What are your sin patterns? What are the things that keep showing up? What are the sins that you're not dealing with? That you're not being open about? Thirdly, I think he gives us permission I said we've been thinking about discipleship a lot of freedom. He gives us permission to set up discipleship places where we deal with sin. and community groups where we deal with sin. and relationships where we don't take sin lightly. And he asks us, are you a part of a community? Are you in relationship with anyone who is seeing and who you're sharing these things with so that we can deal with it? It's a big room. You can't be vulnerable with everyone, but don't use that as an excuse not to be vulnerable with anyone. Believe it or not, the Lord desires for us to live a certain way that if we pray about these things, He will provide. Do you know the Lord is actually desires for you to live for Him, to actually have joy in Him? Do you actually believe that? That the Lord wants you to delight in Him? If there's any reluctance, it's not on God's part. It's on us, because he's ever ready. He's ever ready to pour out into our lives joy, peace, hope, love. So are we in community with people who, are, who we can be vulnerable with, who can also be vulnerable with us? Are we in community with people who, who see our sin and can call us out on it? believing that they have the same Holy Spirit we do? But also, are we in a community where people can see the situation we're in and say, hey, brother, you need professional help? Because that can be a problem, right? Christians trying to deal with problems that they don't have the capability. We've heard a lot of people like that. And I'm sure a lot of you are in this room. Someone has got to be in this room who's been hurt because people try to deal with your problem when one did not know who you are. And 2 did not really have the solution. You are just a prop for them to boost their own righteousness. God forbid. God forbid that we are those kind of people who use one another for our own sake. There I say, this psalm commands us to set up places where we can be vulnerable about sin. Sin inside of each other's lives and deal with it. Do you have such a place? It's a new year, y'all. It's a new year. I tend to be a little more cynical about that, unfortunately. Um, Just how I'm wired. It's just a day. Um, But it's an opportunity, right? To turn a new leaf. It's an opportunity to to set up things in place in order for this year to be different from last year. I don't know what resolutions you have. My encouragement to you is, are you dealing with sin? Friends, we are on a mission. See, the Lord has sent us to do work. If you are in the military, you do regular PT because that's essential for the mission. Are you regularly, are you regularly removing the sin that so entangles us from accomplishing the work that the Lord has given us? If you, if you notice, I don't know how familiar you are with the four Gospels, but They spent a lot of time on the last week of Jesus' life. I don't know if you've noticed that. Why did they do that? He lived 33 years and he did ministry for three years, but why do you, isn't that like a waste of space? I want to just fill it with more miracles, right? (laughs) Because miracles, miracles are just that. People just ask for more, more miracles. Do more miracles, Lord, let's see. See, the thing that Jesus really came to do is to deal with sin. If, you, if you're thinking you just need one more miracle in order to strengthen your faith, I think the scriptures will show that that's not the solution. As you see the Lord coming in and sweat and blood for your sin, that should do something to you. See, the scriptures spend a lot of time on that because that's what we so desperately need for our sin to be dealt with. I believe God gave us this psalm so that we can struggle well not so that we can pretend we have it all figured out. This psalm is grace. It's grace. Because it's dirty. It's messy. It's not what we want to hear our worship leader say. <laughs> I was envious. I struggled with self-pity and I, I doubted the Lord. Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And If you remember, Asaph begins... This psalm with a shout. He begins, actually, with the end. <laughs> you're seeing this brother talking about the goodness of God. It's not because he hasn't been through the bad. In fact, it's because he's been through the bad, he can shout, ain't God good. Ain't God good. that's not just a platitude to him. See, when you stop him in church and you say God is good, he knows what you're talking about. He knows what you're talking about. He says, truly God is good, but then he adds to those who are pure in heart. So if Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, and he says, truly God is good to those who are pure in heart, Asaph is trying to get us to a place where we see God, not the wicked. Friends and family, what you need most, what I need most, is to see God. What we need most It used to be that, right? in in, in churches, you see, it would be big here, we must see Jesus. We must see Jesus. (laughs) We must see Jesus. Asaph says, though, that being pure in heart and struggling with sin are not mutually exclusive. Let me say that one more time. Being pure in heart Seeing God and struggling with sin are not mutually exclusive. We need to stop it. <laughs> we just need to stop it. We need to stop pretending we have it all figured out. I'm preaching to myself. If we haven't figured out, why would Jesus come? Why does he why does he need to sweat blood? Struggling with sin and being pure in heart are not mutually exclusive. But the question is, how are you struggling? The Lord has given us this psalm so that we can struggle well. That's that's the secret to this Christian thing. Not that we don't struggle. Not that we've attained perfection. But how are we struggling? Who are we struggling with? Where are we struggling See, what sets the pure in heart apart from the wicked is the grace of God in the struggle. My wife says this all the time. Struggle is a sign of life. This is kind of a crude example or illustration, but I grew up in Ghana. um, And you you don't go to the grocery store to get your chickens. You raise your chickens. Like If you're going to eat chicken tonight, you're killing your chicken. You're running after it. You're catching it. I save you the gory details. But do you know that even after you've taken the chicken's head off and you leave it, it'll struggle? It'll run around literally for like like 4 to 5 minutes. It's struggling. That's sin. That's sin. See God has dealt the death blow to sin, but it's not going to go down without a fight. See the pay, the price has been paid. Je- Jesus has dealt with it. So if you see it in your life, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Deal with it. Deal with it in community. Deal with it honestly. In verse 16, he says, when I I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a worrisome task. Amen. Is he the only one overwhelmed with injustice and how unfair life is? You see, Asaph is not... Asaph is not one of the brothers who, who reads all these books about the problem of evil. If God is so good, why is there so much evil in the world? See, Asaph is not consumed with that because he knows he carries in his body evil. He carries in his body a desire for evil, a wanton for evil. That's his natural propensity. It's called depravity. Since the first day and Adam fell, all our children, all of carry this propensity towards the fire. We will ruin ourselves. We will destroy ourselves if it wasn't for the grace of God. If it wasn't for the common grace of God, we will destroy ourselves. As if we all carry a nuclear weapon inside of ourselves, ready to just ignite it, but for the grace of God. G.K. Chesterton, during the world wars, someone took an ad in the newspaper and said, what's wrong with the world? Chesterton, in his cynical self, responds the next day, I am wrong with the world. Friends, this is liberated. Let this liberate you. Be liberated this year, amen? Be liberated. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. If if you weren't, Christ would not have come. He won't need to come. If you just needed a little bit of advice to just cross the line, why, why, come be born? We just, why come be humbled? He could have just sent good advice from heaven so that we can live. But God. But God shows up to this man in the sanctuary. See, he is going to work for God, but he doesn't know that God is working on his behalf. He's about to come to worship and put on a show again. It's just another Sunday. One more song. Let's just do this and go home. Surprise, surprise. Our gracious God meets this man in the sanctuary. Deliverance comes to this man in the sanctuary. Discernment comes to this man in the sanctuary because he says, he says it's in the sanctuary that he finally realized that those people that he's envious of are actually the ones in slippery places. He discerns that these people are spinning the wheels but not going anywhere. See, these people think they are living their best lives now without any regard for God. Where is God? If he's so good, why is there so much evil in the world? These people, he says... I live in a dream and it's not the good kind. They are living an illusion. It says God despises them. Envy them? Envy them? How can I envy them? Why do I feel sorry for myself? Why do I doubt the Lord if these people will be destroyed? He says, I was a beast towards you. I was brutish towards you. I was ignorant. I knew nothing, Lord. The Lord shows up in the sanctuary and delivers this man from his envy and self-pity and doubt and causes him to write this new song. Ain't God good. If you were to walk up to Asaph after the worship service and ask him, okay, so Asaph, is what you're telling me, come to the church Regularly come to the temple regularly join a community group, blah blah blah. blah, blah bang the boom, bye da We got this thing right. I'll probably tell you you've missed it. You missed it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a formula. <laughs> don't just it's, you don't, you're not just gonna go through the motions with the Lord. Stop it. Stop it. This is what I mean. In verse 23, he says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You counsel me. It's about the presence of the Lord. It's about seeking the Lord's presence, whether it's here, or whether it's in our community groups, or whether it's in the morning when we are reading the word. It's about realizing that the Lord is knocking on the door, waiting, Delighting, desiring to commune with us. "I've sings, whom I have high in heaven. and There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. I have treasure both in heaven and on earth. Because I've got you, Lord. I've got you. You hold me. You hold me. I've got you. And you got me. Which makes me, to my very last point, Again, I've said that we've been thinking a lot about discipleship. We've been thinking a lot about multiplication as the church and freedom. I, I just see it everywhere now. You just, when you read the scriptures, see, see Asaph, had, it's, it's Israel, Israel was supposed to be a people group on a mission. All right? They were supposed to be the light of the world. They were supposed to be the one place that you could come and say, okay, you know what? God exists. This is why God was so passionate about Israel being a righteous nation. This is why injustice in Israel was such a big deal to the prophets. Because if the plan A has glitches in it, and there's no plan B, God has every right to be frustrated with the nation. Friends and family, God has given us something better than just a nation. He's given us his very Holy Spirit. He's given us his very presence. And he sent us out into the world on mission to make disciples of all nations. Once we stop doing what the Lord has called us to do, we turn on each other. There's infighting because we don't have a common vision, because we don't have a common goal, because we've lost our desire to make disciples of every nation for the sake of our King who has already shed his blood. He's already done the hard work. He sent us out, and oftentimes we are reluctant. The world is waiting. Our neighbors are waiting. Asaph writes this psalm in order to bear up his heart and say, Lord, how can I make disciples when I'm envious of the very people that I'm supposed to disciple? And and evangelize too. But as we recognize that we have an inheritance, an inheritance that is as big as the world itself, we want nothing but to bring the world into it. We want nothing but to tell the word about it. We want nothing to multiply communities, multiply communities to draw people in. I don't know what your New Year's resolution is, but can I commend this one to you? Can I commend one more and say, be about the mission of Jesus Christ. There is no worthy cause. There's no more worthy cause than to be on mission. You wake up in the morning knowing that the Lord of, 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 of the world, the God of the heavens has given you a commission, and says, go out into the world and make disciples of our nations. Why? Because I have all authority. I'm not saying this to make you feel bad. I'm saying it because that's what the Lord says. Not only that, he gives us this Holy Spirit to do it. He gives us a community to do it. We have nothing. Time has taken. Time is taken, and he sent us. Let's be about his mission. Amen? Amen. All right, let me pray for us. Father God, what an honor and a privilege it is for you to send us out into the world. Who are we? But You've caused, you caused us to be able to, to take an interest in you because we've seen that you are good. Oh, Father God, I pray, I pray, and I plead with you that you this year will make us the people who are about your mission, seeking to make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples for the sake of your kingdom. Holy Spirit, convict our hearts of this. Bring to memory all the things that you've taught us. Help us to be a people who are zealous to obey all the commandments that you've given us for the sake of Jesus Christ. In whose name I pray, amen.